Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we continue our reflections into this very rich book that we have been going through now for almost three months. <laughs> yeah, three months. And I said from the outset that I don't know if this is going to take two months, three months, four months, because quite frankly, my friends, I don't know how much time I'm going to spend in one verse or two verses. You know, as we go through some of these commentaries, you know, Michael Barber's work coming soon. We've been drawing from Peter Williamson's commentary on the book of Revelation. Their insights are many. And then I just might get stuck on one verse, really re- reflecting into the impact of one verse. And so sometimes it takes us a whole week to get through a chapter. Sometimes it takes us a whole week to get through a few verses. It just depends. And, you know, I've had Derek Allen with me. I've had Debbie Rizals with me. And as I have guests, I want them to be able to to speak to how the Spirit is speaking to them, you know, in this great book uh, for you to get a, a deeper appreciation of how, how the Holy Spirit might reveal himself to a different individual. So that has been pretty invaluable. And so with that, here we are, chapter 17. And how long are we going to be in chapter 17? I don't know. It took us two days to get through chapter 16. Chapter 17 is rich. This discussion of the harlot Uh, there are many practical applications to draw from this chapter that one might miss on the surface. But as you know, we don't stay on the surface, right? (laughs) As one former professor of mine used to put it, you go snorkeling when you study sacred scripture. Because if you're really going to get at what the Holy Spirit wants us to see, then you need to dive deep. If you want to be good at anything in life, do you ever just stay on the surface? No, you dive deep. You spend time with whatever discipline that it is you you are dealing with. So as it relates to sacred scripture, you spend time with it, you dive deep into it, and what you come to discover are many new and beautiful truths that maybe you didn't see before. And that's in every uh, chapter, every verse. And this is why we are still three months later in the book of Revelation, huh? Okay, with that, chapter 17. Now, there's some topical stuff to discuss before we actually get into the verses themselves. One of the things that you find in commentaries like Peter Williamson's and and Michael Barber's are detailed reflections that get into the continuity of the Old and New Testament or the continuity of certain chapters with other chapters in the book of Revelation. And certainly we have been doing that. Uh, We have been seeing the importance of it. And that will be part of what we continue to do today. I know for a number of you, you have reached out to me and said, this has been very beneficial for you. If for no other reason, just to just appreciate (laughs) the continuity of sacred scripture itself. So all that being said, in this chapter, the wicked city is described as a harlot. And this is not a new city or a different city than the ones judged throughout Revelation. This is the same great city where the Lord was crucified. We just talked about how in chapter 16, verse 19, this great city was Jerusalem, 
the great city where the God-man was crucified. It's really provocative to think about how this place, which was hailed as the center of the world, is now going to be the place where God would be crucified. Now, throughout our reflections, we have talked about how the wicked city destined for destruction is in fact Jerusalem. One of the most compelling indications of this is the way in which John shows how the wicked city, symbolically called Babylon, is replaced by a new Jerusalem. And the emphasis on a new Jerusalem indicates what? But that the old one has been replaced. And through subtle clues, we can see how John connects the two cities. The wicked city is the photographic negative of the new Jerusalem. And certainly throughout chapter 16 and chapter 17, paralleled with chapter 21, we can discover this. In point of fact, let us pause here to consider this. If you were to juxtapose Babylon as the old Jerusalem, and Babylon in quotation marks, right, that is found in chapter 16 and 17, with the new Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21, you find, once again, striking similarities. Chapter 16, verses 17 to 21, yesterday we read about the seventh chalice, the destruction of Babylon. And as we'll talk about it in great detail a few weeks from now in chapter 21, what do we read about? The final seventh vision, the descent of the new Jerusalem. In chapter 17, verse 1, we read, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me. In chapter 21, verse 9, we read, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven plagues and spoke to me. Chapter 17, verse 1, we read, Come, I will show you. Chapter 21, verse 9, we read, Come, I will show you. Chapter 17, verse 1, we read, The great harlot. Chapter 21, verse 9, we read, the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Chapter 17, verse 3, we read, And he carried me away in the Spirit. Chapter 21, verse 10, we read, And in the Spirit he carried me away. Chapter 17, verse 4, we read, I saw a woman arrayed in purple and scarlet, bedecked with gold and jewels and pearls. Chapter 21, verse 11, we read, Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. Consider further, my friends, in chapter 17, verse 5, where we read, On her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon, the great mother of harlots. Chapter 21, verse 12, we read, On the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. Chapter 18, verse 2, It has become a dwelling place of demons, the old Jerusalem, Babylon. Chapter 21, verse 3, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. Chapter 17, verse 5, we read, Mother of harlots and of earth's abominations. Chapter 21, verse 27, Nothing unclean shall enter it, not anyone who practices abomination. And lastly, chapter 17, verse 8, Those whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to behold the beast. And chapter 21, verse 27, And those who are written in the Lamb's book of life shall enter. So we have this great contrast of the old Jerusalem, the harlot, and the new Jerusalem, where one is done away with so that a new one shall usher in. John's intention clearly 
is to describe the new Jerusalem as the antithesis of the old one. If the city is Jerusalem, though, what are we to make of some of these other verses? I mean, what are we to make of John's vision of the city sitting upon the seven hills found in Revelation chapter 17, verse 9? Rome, of course, is famously built on seven hills. Because of this, many are convinced that the wicked city is Rome rather than Jerusalem. However, it is important to situate this particular vision within the larger symbolic framework as we have been doing, right? That larger symbolic framework of not only this chapter, but the book itself. First of all, it is clear that the harlot in chapter 17 is an image of the city. Secondly, the harlot is not the beast, but symbolizing something separate from it. This is clear from the fact that the beast devours the harlot in verse 16. There's a lot of reflections into how the beast and the harlot, oh, they're all the same thing. No, the beast devours the harlot. Furthermore, we read that the harlot sits upon the beast. Now we can consider the seven hills, right? John tells us that the seven hills are the seven heads of the beast. Thus, the harlot city sits on the seven hills, just as the woman sits upon the beast with seven heads. As already mentioned, Rome was the city of seven hills. Furthermore, brothers and sisters, our interpretation reflects the true historical situation of the Herodian dynasty. Herod, as we have said, was not the rightful king. He wasn't even a Jew. He and his sons were appointed by the Roman emperor. Therefore, Jerusalem is the city that literally sits upon Rome. Okay, let us actually read these verses and reflect out from them. Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 to 2. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who is seated upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and with the wine of whose fornication the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Now, in looking at John's image of the city, seated upon many waters, many scholars, including Michael Barber and his work coming soon, point to Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 13, which says that Babylon sits by many waters. By borrowing this imagery, John is describing Jerusalem as the new Babylon in terms identical to the old. To really probe here, John may have another point. As we have already mentioned, the symbols of sea and water represent what? But the Gentile nations, those nations that were outside of God's covenant people. By borrowing the many waters that the woman sits on is yet another way of showing how Jerusalem has set itself up on Gentile authority. It is another way of presenting the same message conveyed in the portrayal of the harlot riding the beast and the, the city sitting on seven hills. Now, because Israel was supposed to be in a covenant relationship with God, its unfaithfulness was often painted in terms of what? Probably the most provocative image throughout the Old Testament. That is, an adulterous wife. In the first chapter of Isaiah, we read concerning Jerusalem, in verse 21, how the faithful city has become a harlot, she that was full of justice, 
Righteousness lodged in her, but now murders. Oh, man. Her participation in the idolatrous ways of the nations was also understood in terms of idolatry. Ezekiel explains that when the city engaged in the idolatrous practices of the pagans, she was, in verse 15, chapter 16, verse 15, playing the role of the harlot. This is a major theme seen throughout Hosea's message, where Jerusalem is called a harlot. Chapter 1, verse 2, chapter 4, verses 16 to 19, chapter 5, verse 3, and there's other passages. The image of Jerusalem being drunk evokes Isaiah's prophecy. Chapter 29, verse 9, stupefy yourselves and be in a stupor, be drunk, but not with drink. There is a lesson here to be learned in this. As St. Thomas Aquinas taught, sin darkens the intellect and brothers and sisters impedes our understanding of things. This is because the more one sins, the more that person has to justify his sin in his mind, rationalizing the guilt away. Hosea likewise explains, wine and new wine take away the understanding. My people inquire of a thing of wood, and their staff gives them oracles. For spirit of harlotry has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the what? Harlot. Sin, my friends, is a very, very slippery slope. Mea culpa. <laughs> In the end, the sinner is made to convince himself so thoroughly that he is doing nothing wrong, that he can no longer discern true good from true evil. The noise of our sin drowns out our sense of reason, my friends. When St. Thomas Aquinas teaches that sin darkens the intellect and impedes our understanding, he's telling us to get out of sin. It is human nature. Lesson to be learned for all of us. All right. Chapter 17, verse 3. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. Now, John, much like Isaiah, is carried out into the wilderness to see the fall of the harlot. Isaiah also had a vision of God's coming judgment, which was also associated with the desert. John, again, borrows from this chapter of Isaiah when he states, fallen, fallen is Babylon. That's in chapter 18. But certainly this is what these verses point to. This beast that is mentioned here in this verse is the first beast that arises out of the sea in Revelation chapter 13, which we saw was what but Rome. And as in Revelation chapter 13, this beast has what? Seven heads and ten horns, right? And blasphemous names. Its scarlet color stands in stark contrast to the white-robed saints. You see, my friends, John is very intentional to show, antithetically speaking, the distinctions between the old Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem. The old Jerusalem that has become the new Babylon in its prostitution, in its adulterous ways. Chapter 17, verses 4 to 5. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and bedecked with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her fornication. 
and on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of harlots and of earth's abominations. All right, what can we say about these verses? Well, the jewels that the woman wears are a subtle contrast to what we just spoke of, the splendor of the bride of the Lamb. Likewise, these jewels are mentioned in chapter 18 as the goods the harlot city traded as part of her prosperous economy. So the harlot then is literally wrapped up in her own wealth. Jeremiah uses similar imagery to describe Jerusalem dolling herself up to seduce the nations in, in chapter 4, verse 30. John's description mirrors, in fact, Jeremiah's words. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 7. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine, therefore the nations went mad. Wow. Furthermore, precious jewels and gold were also used as part of the temple services in Jerusalem. And certainly you can only imagine how important that is to understanding the context of these verses. The high priest wore what but gold, scarlet, and precious stones. These items were part of the temple's furnishings. If you were to go back into Exodus 25 and 26 and 27, you'll read this everywhere. Some scholars have seen temple imagery in the golden cup and have connected the inscription on, on the harlot's forehead to the high priest, whose mitre also had words written across the forehead. Cups, in fact, when you really start to dig deep into this, were used in the temple for sacrifice. However, the blood poured out in the harlot's cup is not from animals, but the martyrs. In a sense, then, Jerusalem has sacrificed the saints. I mean, how provocative is that? When John speaks of the mystery of the words written on the harlot's forehead, here he alludes to Daniel's vision. It's been a few days since we've been in Daniel, huh? <laughs> you can't get too far into this study from one day to the next without mentioning Daniel. And this vision, their mystery is associated with the destruction of the wicked kingdom. And it is also connected with the establishment of God's kingdom by the Son of Man. Here, therefore, the mystery is applied to the destruction of the wicked city, Jerusalem. Once this earthly city has been destroyed, now, my friends, God's true bride, the new Jerusalem, will come down from heaven. As Jerusalem is judged, God begins to reign. Similarly, God's temple in heaven is opened once the earthly city is judged. Uh, by the way, let us just pause here for a second. What does the word Jerusalem mean? And where did it come from? Well, this has us going back to when Abraham offered up his son Isaac, right? He was in, at that time, the city of Salem, right? He went up Mount Moriah in the city of Salem. Now, when Abraham was about to strike his son in obedience to the father, the angel of the Lord intervenes. And when he intervenes, he said, in this place, I will provide the lamb. The Hebrew word there for provide and provide the lamb is jeru, jeru. So there they were in the city of Salem, and God makes this promise that he will provide the lamb, that he will jeru, right, in the city of Salem. Hence, 
Jerusalem, the city of peace where God will provide the lamb. So at that point in history, my friends, it is no longer the city of Salem, the city of peace, but now the city of Jerusalem, the city of peace where God will provide the lamb. Golgotha is in that range of Mount Moriah, and as tradition holds, our Lord was crucified in the very spot that Abraham was offering up his own son. So here you have a father who asked his son to carry wood upon his back, ascend a mountain in obedience. And of course, is this not the same thing that unfolds in the crucifixion, in the carrying of the cross, in the ascent to Golgotha, uh, Calvary, where another son carried wood up his back and was crucified. What was God doing? He was fulfilling his promise. He was following through because God always keeps his promises. And of course, this great promise saved us from our sin and ultimately was done that a new Jerusalem might be ushered in. A new city of peace where the lamb will be provided, a lamb that will be provided for our sake. And so dramatic is this that God actually asks us to consume this lamb, this lamb of God, who is the person of Jesus Christ, that we might enter into a new worship, one that is not full of harlotry and practices of, of prostitution, but one that is full of purity, unbridled purity and self-donation and self-offering. So again, the word Jerusalem here is very important. All right, how about Chapter 17, verse 6. <clears throat> and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Ooh. The Greek word here, martis, is translated as witness. Everywhere else in John's vision, as we have already talked about. In this, we can better see the link between those who are killed by the harlot here in Revelation chapter 17 and the two witnesses who lie dead in the streets of the wicked city of Revelation chapter 11. I want to go back to the archives there. A few weeks back, where we were in chapter 11, we talked about the importance of those two witnesses. What's more, we find that the wicked city's responsibility for the deaths of these saints is also mentioned in Revelation chapter 18. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints. Clearly, my friends, this describes the prophets and saints killed in Jerusalem. Okay, how about Revelation chapter 17, verses 7 to 11? But the angel said to me, Why marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is to ascend from the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to behold the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to perdition. There's so much there, and we can only begin to 
to grasp it, I think, on, on one certain level. And we probably won't be able to get through all of these verses uh, this evening. But clearly, John's wonder at the beast reminds the reader of those in Revelation chapter 13 who follow the beast with wonder. John is similarly captivated by the woman, albeit only temporarily. Her beautiful appearance, which shares so much in communion with the bride of the Lamb, is truly compelling. That'll be drawn out further in chapter 21. Why? Because the harlot is very seductive. Yet the angel rebukes John for admiring her skin-deep beauty. The angel turns John's focus to the beast that carries her. You see, my friends, here again, we have another example of how the beast parodies the Lord, who is called the one who was and is to come by being called the one who was and is not and is to ascend from the bottomless pit. Furthermore, the prediction of the beast who will die is not and then be revived from the pit refers to the reemergence of the empire after the chaos that followed the death of Nero. What did we talk about there back in chapter 13? At that time, those who thought Rome would fall will wonder. Here it is, wonder in amazement at its resurgence. It's always important when interpreting just sacred scripture as a whole to pay close attention at how Satan hijacks a definitive truth of God. You see, my friends, there is no truth in Satan because he is the essence of lies. The best he can do is plagiarize truth, present truth to be something that it is not. And this is why when we lie, we essentially are participating in Satan's doing, and maybe we should say undoing. And so we are always mindful of that all-important virtue of recollection, where we draw back to see something for what it is and draw far back enough to be able to see that thing for what it is, okay, and enter into discernment. Mindful of what we said earlier about the lesson from St. Thomas Aquinas, sin darkens the intellect. Sin cannot discern clearly, and consequently we are made to be free from those attachments that we might see clearly and how God might want to intervene in our everyday life, huh? Okay, with that, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.